this morning. Love Christmas. Here's what we've been saying in this series, this conversation that we've been having. We've been saying that joy and Christmas seem to go together, right? I mean, you listen to the Christmas music and you hear things like it's the most wonderful time of the year. You watch the movies. It's a wonderful life. Everything seems to be pointing to joy and Christmas go together. Christmas lights. I talked to some of you earlier and you like go out and look at the Christmas lights, particularly the ones that are synchronized with music. That's kind of cool, right? Eggnog, mistletoe, staff parties, family get-togethers. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year, but I'm looking for an amen right here. Stay with me. Looking for an amen. What makes it really, really fun and what brings a lot of joy at Christmas time is, you ready? This is time for an amen, is the presence. Can I get an amen? Some of you are like, am I allowed to say amen? How many of you love getting Christmas presents at Christmas? Come on, be honest. Rest of you are lying. That's what I think, right? You're lying. Love Christmas presents, right? When you're a kid, you can't wait to open your Christmas presents, right? You're eager to get up Christmas morning to see what it is that you got for Christmas. It made me think, uh, that was a little quick, but it made me think back to some of my first Christmases and some of the presents that I got. Now, if you're like, who is that? That's me on the far right. And uh, this particular Christmas, I was hoping my parents would get me some clothes, I think. is what I was hoping, right? Is what I was hoping. But as I begin to go down memory lane, let's flip to the next one. I begin thinking of some of my favorite Christmas presents. Everybody, yeah, oh, that's neat. Everybody collectively go, oh, go ahead, go ahead, yeah. So that's my brother and I, and like that was like one of the coolest Christmases, right? We were the wild, wild west. We were cowboys. And then I got this farm. If you can't tell what that is on, that's me on the right, right? And I got this farm that when you opened the barn door, it went like that. How many ever had a barn like, yeah, wow, that's cool. And then, now listen, don't flip yet, don't go yet. Then I got a little older, right? I got a little older, and we were high tech. I had to have the high technology, and this is what I got. Raise your hand if you know what that is, you've ever seen one. Put your hands down. Raise your hand if you had one. Come on, I want to see. Man, we could play afterwards, right? I see you back here, man. That's awesome, right? And so, like, some of you are like, what is that? Oh, man, it's like electric football. You got to have one because what you did was set up your men, and then you turn it on, they go, they go like that, right? And, then, and they run around in circles instead of going, they kind of look like the Browns, right? They run around in circles, right? And that was unnecessary, right? I, but, 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 but then they improved the technology, and then I got one of these, Right? Raise your hand if you had one, got one. Okay, I love it. How many of you still play? No, don't do that. I'm just kidding. I got one in my office. Every once in a while, I play with it, right? But we didn't have PlayStation, Xbox. We didn't have any of that stuff. Man, but I remember the day I got, like, I remember when my parents got me this. I'm like, man, they must have sold something to be able to afford that, right? I thought that was a big deal. Then I remember when they got me the cutting-edge bicycle of the day. It was a three-speed bicycle. Raise your hand if you had a three-speed bicycle, right? Not as many of you. I didn't know what a 10-speed was. I didn't even know there were speeds on bicycles, right? And then my parents, when I turned 13, right, I was a teenager, I could have a three-speed bicycle. I loved it. And I remember I rode that thing. It was wintertime. I still rode that thing. Loved my three-speed bike. There are so many Christmas presents that I can remember. I love getting presents. In fact, in fact, this morning, this is as serious as I stand here, this morning somebody gave me a present. Isn't that kind of cool, right? It's not even Christmas. Do you guys mind if I open it in front of you? Just shake your head if you're okay. Just shake your head, you all right? Some of you are like, no, I want one too. Well, it's my present and I want to open it, all right? But they got me this present and I'm really, really excited because I love Christmas presents. And so this is what they got me this morning. Some of you will love this, right? <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Let's see if I know how one of these work, right? So 
Some of you are like, what is the big deal? A couple weeks ago, because this is a really big deal. I made fun of guys that wear sweater vests, all right? And so somebody brought me this present, had no idea it was coming. How's it look? Think all right, huh? Yeah. Somebody told me earlier, it made me look like Jim Trestle, the old Ohio State football coach. <laughs> I said, that's too bad. But anyways, I went on. Listen, we love Christmas presents, right? We love Christmas presents. Usually the Christmas presents we love the most are the ones that are personal, the ones that kind of express love and commitment and loyalty from the person giving it. In fact, we love the fact that a lot of Christmas presents that mean something to us probably came at a sacrifice. Like I look at those presents that you just saw, my, my dad and mom, they didn't make much money at all. Okay, when I got older, I, I found out what they made. They didn't make much at all. And so when I look back and I'm like, wow, that cost them, that came at great sacrifice to them. And so there's something that, that makes that special to you. Now, here's what I know. You know this, I know this. But the older you get, the joy kind of shifts. And see if you know what I mean here. The, the joy shifts. Because when you're a kid, you get really excited about getting gifts, right? But as you get older, the joy kind of shifts into giving gifts. Raise your hand if you just love giving gifts. Some of you are like, not me, right? <laughs> but, but, but the older you get, the joy shifts into, man, I love giving gifts. In fact, it makes me think of the best gift I ever gave somebody. Best gift I ever gave somebody. Now, unfortunately, it didn't happen on Christmas. But the best gift I ever gave somebody resulted in the best gift I ever received from somebody. And the best gift that I ever gave somebody changed my life and it changed the person who I gave the gift to. It changed their life forever. Here's how it goes if you haven't put it together yet. But when I gave this gift, I can tell you this about the gift. It's a gift that I had to save up for a long, 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 long time because I paid for this gift with cash. I remember paying the day I went and paid for this gift with cash. The other thing about this gift is this, is that this person thought they would get this gift, or they were pretty sure they would get this gift, and they were pretty sure they knew when I was going to give it. You see, as it so happens, I was going to give the gift to Jennifer, who happens to be my wife, if you didn't know that, and she had come to visit me. She lived in Chicago, the inner city of Chicago, and I lived in Indiana, and she came to visit me on a weekend. It just so happened it was Valentine's Day weekend. And so she had thought in her mind, and she's like, I know this is the weekend, right? This is the weekend he's going to give me the gift, right? You, you tracking with me what the gift might be? You with me so far, right? And so he's going to give me the gift because it's romantic weekend. It's Valentine's, right? I'm going to get the gift. So she came on a Friday night. We went out to dinner. She said, probably this is it, romantic dinner, no gift, right? Because here's what I knew. I knew that she expected it, and because she expected it, I determined not to give it to her that weekend, right? It's just the way I am, right? So we went through, I know, don't hate me, right? But, but we went through the whole weekend, went on long walks, and maybe this is when I'm going to get the gift. No gift. Went the whole way to Sunday night, and she had to go back to work, said goodbye, hugged her, and I think she thought, maybe I'm going to get the gift right at the very end. No gift. I think she went back home very disappointed, right? No gift. But in my mind, I had been planning. I already had a plan all worked out because the very following week, Sunday night, I went into work 8 o'clock. I unloaded trucks for 12 hours, got off at 8 a.m. the next morning. I went home, picked up the gift that I paid for with cash. Did I say that? Paid for it with cash, right? I jumped in my little silver two-door, two-speed Honda Accord, right? I drove, yeah, you shifted on the fly. It was awesome, man. I drove two, two and a half hours, two, two and a half hours to Chicago. I had made arrangements with her roommate. Jennifer had no idea I was coming. 
She had no idea I was coming. She was still disappointed from the weekend before. And so I showed up. Her roommate let me into her apartment. I had flowers, right? I had gone and I got a suit coat, a brand new suit coat. I had bought suspenders, right? They were cool then. I don't know if they are anymore, right? I bought a brand new pair of shoes just for this weekend. Now, this isn't the point of the story, but after the weekend, I took the shoes back to the store in exchange. But anyways, that's different, all right? But here's the deal. I'm sorry, yeah, but I did. That's what I did. But, but I showed up, put flowers, had this, had this outfit. I had some music I was going to play. I brought food that I was going to cook, and I'm not that good of a cook, but I brought steak, salad, some good stuff to drink, all that kind of stuff. And so here's the deal. I got everything set up. Had time for a little nap, got up, took a shower, combed my hair. I had hair back then, got all ready, hid behind a corner, and then the bell hit five, and that's when she got off work. And I remember thinking I was nervous because, man, this is it. She has no idea I'm here. I'm here in the middle of the inner city, one of the most violent neighborhoods in America, right? And I hear her open the door downstairs, walk up the stairs, unlock the 12 locks that were on her door, you know. She was in a very, very violent neighborhood. And then it dawned on me, man, I hope she's not packing, right? (laughs) She, She opens the door and finds out somebody's in her apartment. This story might end differently, right? She opened the door and she goes, man, somebody's here. So I pretty quickly came around the corner. I came around the corner, and she said, oh, it's you. And I'm like, yeah, and we embraced. I'm like, I just thought I'd come and kind of interrupt your week, and I thought I'd cook you dinner and things like that. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. We sat down, shared this meal. I made sure it was a long meal. She's sitting there, wow, this is cool. And at the end of that meal is when I reached into my coat pocket, and I pulled out a poem that I wrote, and she still has to this day. And it really is significant to her. Albeit, I said, can I have it so I can read it to them? She said, I can't find it. But it's really significant to her today. I read this poem, and at the end of this poem, here's what I asked her. I said, will you say yes, is what I said. Will you say yes, yes to what? And then I got on one knee, and I opened my gift. Now you're with me. And I showed her a ring that I paid for with my own money, cash. Did I tell you that? And I said, as I was on one knee, I said, will you marry me? Can I tell you something? It was really cool. Because she wasn't expecting it. I interrupted her work week, scared her, terrified her, right? And then I, then I asked her to marry me, and I showed her this gift. Can I tell you something that you've already figured out? That gift, and that, what that gift meant brought her great joy. You tracking with me? It brought her great joy. And can I tell you something else? That when she said yes, it brought me great joy. Can I tell you something? That's the story of Christmas. The story of Christmas, did you know this story of Christmas is very much like that? Because the God of the universe interrupted some shepherds' evening, scared the bejeebers out of them. He sent, he sent an angel to announce that, hey, I got a gift. And this gift, if you realize what this gift represents, it's going to cause you great joy. And here's the story of Christmas. If you'll say yes to this gift, if you'll say yes to my gift, it's going to bring me, the God of the universe, great joy joy. In fact, we've been looking at it. You have it open in your Bibles. It's found in Luke chapter 2. Let's just read it. Verse 8, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Angel of the Lord appeared to them. Glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Makes sense, right? That would scare you. Verse 10, angel said to them, don't be afraid. Why? I bring you good news. It's going to cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior's been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. He says, I got good news. 
And literally, the word he uses is gonna cause great. We get the word great is same where we get the word mega. It's gonna cause you mega joy. Here's why this would have mattered. Like for some of you, you're like, Christmas, I've read that Charlie Brown movie. I get it, right? It's too familiar. Like when they heard this, it had been like, say what? And the reason it would have mattered to them was this, is because they lived in a world where it looked like joy had left. Like if you had watched CNN first century, you'd have been like, wow, has joy left our world? Like, like all that we see in charge are cruel rulers, their personal life's a mess. We got to pay taxes. We got no say. Religion is distorted. Everything seems to be going crazy. They lived in a world like that. Not only that, these guys that the shepherd would have showed up to, it would have felt like joy was missing in their world. Why? Because you couldn't get any lower in society than a shepherd. Like they were about as low as you could get. And it's kind of like, wow, man. And so when the angel shows that I got good news going to cause great joy, like, wow, that matters to us. Like, we want joy. We need joy. This world needs joy. My life needs joy. And that's why the story of Christmas matters to you. Because I've been talking to some of you. And some of you, you're news junkies, and you watch the news, and you read your news feed, and you look at the newspaper, and it's like, wow, it looks like joy left the world, right? Like, you watch, watch the news, and you're like, man... It just seems to be a mess. It's always negative. It feels like, looks like joy left the world. And so some of you, we talked about this. What you do is you bury yourself in your own little world. You're like, well, man, if, if I'm going to stop watching the news and I'm going to somehow make a life for myself, find joy in myself. But if you're honest, it feels like joy is missing in your world. Why? Because circumstances sometimes steal our joy. And some of you are like, well, it's not circumstances, it's people. And the truth is people can rob us of our joy. And so some of you are sitting here and, and the reason this story matters to you is because you can't figure out a way to get your hands around joy. You can't figure out how to get joy. And if you found joy, how to keep joy. And some of you are like, I've never experienced joy in the first place. That's why this story matters because these angels show up to these dudes and they're like, hey, got news. There's a gift gonna cause great joy. And when they figured out what that gift was about, here's what they realized. This is so fascinating. This is last week we talked about this. But when they realized that this baby coming was God, Here's what they realized, that even though they thought to themselves God stopped working, God's been working this whole time. God's been doing something, and he's an always keep your word kind of God. That's good news. And then when they realized, wow, this is God in the flesh. If you've never heard that, the, the story of Christmas is about God wrapping skin around himself, that God showed up as a man. And that was good news to them. Why? Because this God we've been praying to, he's a God who understands me. He understands what it's like to be a man. He understands what it's like to be tempted. He understands what it's like to struggle. He understands. And so I'm praying to a God that's not distant. That's good news, going to cause great joy. But the biggest thing is this. He showed up to these shepherds who were watching these, these sheep, these lambs, and they were watching these lambs, and some of these lambs were being sacrificed in their sacrificial system. And so they're literally watching these lambs for God. And when the angel shows up, hey, listen, these lambs you're watching for God, I want you to go see because the lamb of God has showed up. That literally, this baby is God in the flesh, and he's going to die. And when he does, God's going to extend you grace. Why? Because that's God taking your place. He literally is paying the price for your sin. It's a gift, the angel says, from God, expressing to you how much God loves you, that he wants to spend the rest of his life with you, that he wants to be in a relationship with you. And it's good news going to cause great joy when you realize what this gift represents. And the minute you say yes, the minute you say, yes, I want that, we talked about this the first week. There's a party in heaven. It's crazy. 
causes great joy in the heart of God. Which leads to the rest of the story. If you have your Bibles open, look at it. Verse 13, which is where we're going to be today. Suddenly a great company. What does that mean? There's more than you can count. That's all that means. Of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God. This is the original flash mob. Can you imagine this? They're out in there watching the sheep. Everything's dark. All of a sudden, the place lights up with angels. And they're saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Here's the picture. You got angels praising God. Stay with me on this. You got angels praising God, okay? And then you got angels proclaiming the good news. I'm gonna say it again because this will come back to haunt us a little bit. They got angels praising God and you got angels proclaiming the good news. And they're literally saying, hey, God, you're the star of the show and men are the beneficiaries. And joy comes when you have peace, when you have peace with God, when you have the peace of God, when you have peace with others. That's where joy comes from. Verse 15, when the angels left them, and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Look here a second. I want to put flesh on this for you. Read it in color, not black and white. Here's what's going on. This story is not a bunch of little kids in bathrobes showing up and saying, I mean, that's cool that it gets played out and you remember it that way. But these guys that showed up, these shepherds, they were not allowed, stay with me, this is ironic, interesting to me at best, they were not allowed to be witnesses in a court of law. That's how low on the, on the totem pole they were. Like they weren't allowed to be witnesses in the court of law and that's who God decides to be the witnesses to the birth of Jesus. That's fascinating to me. And so they show up, they see just as the angels had said them, verse 19, Mary treasures all these things and ponders them in her heart. And then look at verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. Why? For all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Here's what I want you to see. Look here. The passage starts out, who's praising God and proclaiming the good news? Who's doing it? The angels, right? When the passage ends, who's doing it? The shepherds. The shepherds are proclaiming the good news, and the shepherds are praising and glorifying God. That literally this good news that causes great joy has an impact on their life. Listen, guys, this is where we're going today, and then we're done. Real joy, when it hits your life, look here a second. I'm going to see your eyes. Real joy, when it hits your life, it has an impact. It has an impact, and it has a lasting impact. It has a lifelong impact. See, here's what I know. Let me go back to Jennifer for a second. I gave her this gift. This gift was a diamond ring. That gift represented, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I want you to be my wife. She said yes. The gift was me saying yes, right? And so I was excited that she said yes. Can I tell you what happened? After she saw the gift, she didn't look at me and said, yeah, that sounds good, right? That's not the way she did it. In fact, if I could transport you there, my wife is rather emotional. And she opened that thing. I asked her to marry me. She began to cry. I didn't know if she was sad or happy. Then she laughed. She cried. She laughed. She just loved it. We put it on her finger. She hugged me. She kissed me. And then I thought, why did I wait so long to give it to her? This is awesome, right? I began to see her respond. What was she doing? She was responding not just to the gift, She wasn't just hugging the gift. She was hugging the one who gave the gift. Why? Because the gift represented something that I was trying to convey to her. It was conveying to her that I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Guys, 
That's what happens when joy, mega joy, connects with our life. That's why the angels are praising God. That's why the shepherds are praising God. Heaven and earth praising God. Here's how I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down. I'm going to explain it to you. My joy and your joy erupts. That's, that's what happens. It erupts into worship. It erupts into worship. You see, here's what I know. My guess is sitting in this room that when I use the word worship, it sounds like a church word. And so for some of you, you begin to think about worship. Well, that's what they do at church. That's a church kind of thing. Some of you are very familiar with it, maybe too familiar with the word. And some of you are like, well, I don't really understand what that is. And so what I want to do, the reason I decided to use the word worship, even if you don't understand it or misunderstand it, I want to explain it. Because here's what worship is worth writing down. Worship is simply my response to all that God is and all that he does. That's worship. It's worth writing down. It's worth knowing what worship is. Worship is me responding to all that God is, all that God does. When I realize who he is and what he's done for me, my life is perpetual worship. It's responding. Here's what I already know. You and I are responders. We live our life responding. Let let me illustrate this way. Some of you, some of you in here are sports fans. And so when your team, when your team is playing in the championship game and they score a touchdown, what do you do? You don't, can I just, this might hurt a little. You don't do what you would do in church, do you? At least if you come to my house, you don't. Ask my daughter-in-law. She entered our family and she's like, that man's crazy when he watches football, right? Because when my team scores, I'm going to tell you something. I'm sitting in my life, yeah, right? What am I doing? I'm responding. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. We're dancing around there. We're like, woo, why? Because my team scored a touchdown, right? My team scored a touchdown. It's like, what am I doing? I'm responding to all that they did. I'm responding to the score, right? I'm a responder. When somebody does something, it elicits a response. That's what worship is. Worship is me responding to a God. It's a perpetual response to a God, listen close, who he's always working, he's always gonna keep his word, he's listening, he understands, and it is me perpetually responding to a God who decided to take my place and give me grace. Like like that's better than any touchdown, right? Like, Like it's a response saying, yes, I want to accept this gift and I want to spend the rest of my life responding to the fact that you said yes to me, God. And and here's what happens when you worship. Worship brings the most unlikely of people together. Think about the Christmas story. You got angels and shepherds worshiping together. You got the highest of heaven worshiping with the lowliest of earth. That's what worship does. That's why when we worship, we worship on common ground. Doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. Doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, young or old, black or white, American, non-American, Republican or Democrat, right? Doesn't matter because preachers and ex-prisoners worship together. You see, that's what happens when you respond. Why? Because this good news is for who? Everyone. It's for everyone, and it causes great joy for everyone. 
And so when we recognize God's gift, we erupt in worship. Like, well, what does worship look like? Well, let me tell you three things. You ought to write these down. There's no blanks for them. But write them down. First, worship, and this is what many of you know about worship, but worship includes my singing. I want you to write it down. I want to explain it, though. Worship includes my singing. Why? Because there's a new song in my heart. You're like, well, that sounds kind of like something you'd hear in church. But listen, don't make this too churchy so that it's not real. Like, like there's a new song in my heart. Singing is a part of worship. In fact, what's interesting to me is Joy to the World, the name of this series. There's a song called Joy to the World. And the song Joy to the World is written by a guy named Isaac. And he wrote it because of a psalm in the Bible, Psalm 98, which says this. Look at what it says. Sing a new what? Say it out loud. Song. Look at that. To the Lord. Why? He's done, a, he's done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm shown his saving power. The Lord has announced his victory. He's revealed his righteousness to every nation. He has remembered. We've talked about that. He's a God who always keeps his word. He's working. He's remembered his promise to love and be faithful to Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. And then I love this. Shout to the Lord. Man, if you can't sing, just shout. How many of you are shouters, not singers, right? Anybody? Yeah, some of you are shouters and you don't know it, okay, because you don't sing that well. I don't sing that well, but I sing loud, right? So I kind of call it like, I like shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break into praise, sing for joy, sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with the harp, melodious song, with trumpets, the sound of ram's horn, make a joyful symphony before the Lord. The king, let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all the living things join it. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out the songs of joy before the Lord. It's like creation's gonna sing. Now I noticed something this morning. Do you notice this? The rivers are clapping and the hills are singing. Isn't that interesting that God's creation can't clap and sing at the same time? Any of you with that, right? Anybody can't clap and sing at the same time? Let me just see your hand, right? I can't. When we do that, Aiden's up here clapping. I stop singing, right? But, but I love the fact that all of creation is singing before the Lord. Why? Because he's coming to judge the earth. He'll judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. Here's the point. My worship includes my singing, which is why Isaac wrote, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room in heaven and nature. Sing, you must know the song. Second verse goes like this. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Now, now, look here a second. Why does worship include singing? Now, 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 let's get away from it just being, well, that's what you do in church, right? Here's why. You know why? Because music matters to you. I know it does. I've been a pastor for over 20 years, do tons of funerals and weddings. And almost every time I do a funeral and wedding, it includes what? Music. And that music includes songs that somehow point to the story of the person's life we're either remembering or the person's life that we're marrying, Right? That like somehow songs tell a story that we identify with. How many of you in the room, let's just see who I'm talking to. How many love country music? Just raise your hand. You like, come on. It's okay in church. Like, can I say that? Yes. Let me see. I'm going to see your hands. You know why you do? Because it tells a story. If you don't like country music, if you listen to country music and go listen to it closely, it just tells a story. As does pop music. As does... Most music tells a story. And, and, and your life has a story. And so the reason you like music is because somehow it tells a story and you identify with that story. You see, here's why worship includes music. Because when you say yes 
to God's gift, this gift about Christmas, this gift of Jesus, when you say yes, when all of a sudden that becomes your life, can I tell you something? You have a new story. And with that new story comes a new song. And I'm going to tell you something that's going to ruin your Christmas. Okay? Some of y'all. And you have a song that the angels don't have. Did you know that? You're like, we always think, of, well, I wish I could sing like an angel. No, you don't. You're glad you don't sing like an angel. Because you have a song the angels don't have. You know why? Because angels don't experience redemption. That gift is for men and women. That gift was not for angels. And I love, there's a guy named Dr. Criswell. He says something interesting that I think is fascinating. Here's what he says. He says, angels don't sing. When you read the Bible, you don't see angels singing. I know some of your versions say that. Literally, the word that it uses, saying or shouting. Here's what he says. It's always the redeemed who sing. God's children sing. Angels do not sing. Here's my conclusion. Some of you like music. Listen to this. Music is made up of major and minor chords. The minor chords speak of wretchedness, death, and the sorrow of this fallen creation. Most of nature moans and groans in a minor key. The sound of the wind through the forest, the sound of the storm, the sound of the wind around the house is always in a minor key. It wails. Even the night song, the sweetest song of the birds, is saddest of the songs. All this reflects the wretchedness, the despair, the hurt, the agony, the travail of this fallen creation. An angel knows nothing of this. But the major key and the major chords are chords of triumph and victory. Surely God has taken us out of the miry clay. He has taken us out of the horrible pit. He has set our feet on the solid rock. He's put a new song in our souls and new praises on our lips. The angels know nothing of this. An angel has never been redeemed. An angel has never been saved. They see it. They watch it. They just don't know nothing about it experientially. It takes a saved soul to sing. That's interesting to me. You see, when I say yes to his gift, I have been saved. The lost has been found. The sinner is forgiven. And so therefore, I have a new song in my heart. In fact, when you jump ahead to the book of Revelation, can we do that? Jump ahead to the book of Revelation, chapter 7. It says that when we get to heaven, heaven and earth are going to come together and worship. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count. Sounds like the first Christmas story, doesn't it? A whole host, you can't count them, shows up. There's going to be this vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation, tribe, and people, and language standing in front of the throne. Listen, sounds interesting. Worship brings together people who aren't normally brought together. Every tribe and nation brought together. Standing in front of the throne and before the lamb. What lamb? The lamb of God lamb. They were clothed in white robes, held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the lamb. And all the angels, it says, were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living beings, and they fell before the throne with their faces to the ground. And they worshiped God. And they sang, amen, blessing, glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and strength belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. Literally, it's heaven and earth coming together, worshiping God. Why? Because worship is an eruption of the joy that this good news brings. Look here a second. This is why we sing. You're like, well, Dan, why are you telling us that? Here's why. Can I tell you this real quick? Some of you have been in church so long that you're like, that's just what we do, right? We just sing. And, and, and I want to challenge some of you that have been in church for a long time, and it's like, that's just what we do. I want you for five minutes to think like somebody who has never been to church. 
Because somebody who's never been to church, it's weird that you come to a place like this and everybody's singing. Right? And maybe that's you. You're like, man, I, don't, I didn't grow up going to church. I don't know much about church. Why do you guys sing? Like, why is everybody singing? Why is people raising their hands? Why? You know why? You know why? Look here. Let's just make this so we can understand it. Because our God didn't score a touchdown. Like, if you, if, you go, if you go to a football game, I was going to say to the Browns game, but probably not that. But if you go to a football game and your team scores a touchdown, what, I'm sorry, but it's true. But what are you doing? You're like, yes! Like, woo! Right? You're doing that. Come on, just be real with me for one minute. Will you just be real? That's what you're doing, right? You know what we're doing? We're like, yes. Yes! Like, God gave us a gift that blows our mind. Like he showed up, we didn't expect when, we didn't think that's how it was gonna be, but that's how he did it. He gave us this gift and this gift means this. He wants to spend his life, forgive our sins, have a relationship with us. That's the story of Christmas. It's like, yes! You see, that's worship. That, that, that's what it is. It's like, I can't believe it, but yes, you better believe it. And when we say yes to him, it's like heaven breaks out in song. We've talked about that the first week. Joy in heaven because lost is found. Worship at minimum, at minimum includes singing. But that's not all it includes. Something else that you find in Scripture, and that's this, and I want you to write it this way, worship ignites my generosity. It ignites my generosity, and I've I, I got to be quick about this, but I want to talk to some of you that <clears throat> you grew up in church and you were beaten up in church. And some of you were frustrated in church. And so I got to talk to you for a second because the reason you were frustrated was because the only thing the preacher talked about was giving. And when they talked about giving, they guilted you into giving. Or they had gimmicks to try to get you to give more. Or they appealed to your greed. If you give, then you'll get. And see, when, when, when you look at the Bible, listen, listen. Guilt, gimmicks, and greed. Guilt, gimmicks, and greed are never a motivation for generosity. Never. Guilt, gimmicks, greed. Never a motivation. In fact, there's an interesting story. Paul is the one writing this in 2 Corinthians 8. Look at what he says. He said, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, now check this out. I put, put skin on this. What God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia, they're being tested by many troubles. Look here a second. Let's just make this real. They, they got problems. They're, they're going through trials. Things are not good. Oh, by the way, and they are very what? Poor. They ain't got a lot of money. But look what it says. But they are also filled with abundant joy. We talked about this first week, right? Joy does not necessarily go hand in hand with circumstances all being great. Joy does not go with me having tons of money. They were filled with joy, and yet they're poor and they have many troubles. And it's overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing. Can we flip that? In the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we urge Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry and getting so that you excel, excel in so many ways in your faith, your gift of speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us. I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. Stay with me on this. I'm not commanding you. I'm not guilting you into this. But I'm testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. Here's the motive. 
for generosity. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Look here a second, and then I need to... That's the motivation. The motivation for my generosity has nothing to do with the preacher guilting me. has nothing to do with the preacher sitting up here with a red thermometer and kind of using a gimmick to get you to give more. has nothing to do with me appealing to your greed. Hey, if you give, then you'll get... Boom, nothing. My generosity is somehow an overflow of the generosity that I receive from the gospel. That God, even though he has it all, made himself a man, a servant, humbled himself, became poor. Why? So that I could have more than I ever dreamed. See how that works? So that I could be blessed, saved from my sins for a purpose, have an eternity in heaven. That's it. Listen, listen, listen. Some of you have been beat up in church. And guilt, gimmicks, and greed, guilt, gimmicks, and greed, guilt, gimmicks, and greed will never produce what the gospel and grace can in your life. Guaranteed. Guilt, gimmicks, and greed will fall short. Here's the way I'd put it. If my generosity, if my generosity is something that has to be squeezed out of me, somewhere I'm missing the point. I'm going to say it again. If my generosity has to be squeezed out of me, because if I'm reading this right, generosity that is driven by the gospel, the good news, the gift that he gave, generosity that's driven by that is something that overflows from me, isn't squeezed out of me. And so the more I understand what he's given to me in the gospel, the more all of a sudden it spills out of my life. That's why many of you get down and pull a tag off the tree. That's why, why are you guys taking an offering? Why the big picture project? Why all that stuff? What's going on there? The preacher said no, 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 a hundred times no. You know why? Let me tell you why. If you're here and you're new, let me tell you why. Because we, of all people, feel like we have received the generosity of a God who has blown us away with his generosity. Blown us away. This church in Macedonia, things weren't going well. They didn't have a lot. And they're like, please let us give more. It's like, what? Like, they got it. Like, they got it. Now, there's something that says interesting about them in verse 5. Let's throw it on the screen. They even did more than we had hoped. Look at this. For their first action was to give what? Say it out loud. Was to give what? Themselves to the Lord and to us. I want to tell you something about worship that you need to get today because this is where I think we misunderstand worship. It includes singing. It ignites generosity. But I want you to write this down. Worship involves my whole life. Worship involves my whole life. Worship is literally something I do with my entire life. It's not just when I'm singing. It's not just when I'm giving. It's not just when I'm in church. In fact, I hear this sometimes. Let's go to worship. And we're going to church. Worship is something I do with my entire life. Your entire life is worship. Let me show you Romans 12. Here's what it says. Then I'll explain it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, remember that, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why? Because this is true and proper worship. Look here, let me explain this. Because when I, I, I told you guys last week, when I read the Bible, like I ask myself questions, I'm very visual, and so I need help in understanding things. And so when I read this passage of Scripture, I think about a picture. It's going to be weird to you at first, but I think about the movie, Remember the Titans. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of it or seen it, right? For those of you who haven't, let me tell you really quickly, and it's really quick. 
it's about two schools that all of a sudden had to segregate, had, had, had to go from segregation to all of a sudden mixing, and the football team was involved. And so blacks all of a sudden were on the same team as whites, whites with blacks, and it did not go well at first. Denzel Washington is the head coach. They brought in a black head coach, and everything's crazy. Community's in an uproar. They take the football team away, away, because they think that might help. And so they're in these dorms doing this football camp, and it goes from bad to worse. There's fights. It gets crazy. Everything's going nuts because they cannot figure out how to get along. All of a sudden, in the middle of the night, this is the best part in the movie to me. It's worth watching it for this scene, in my opinion. In the middle of the night, I want this to make sense to you. In the middle of the night, Denzel Washington, the head coach, runs through the hallways of the dorm, blowing his whistle. Get up, guys, get up. Everybody thinks he's gone crazy. Players think he's crazy. The other coaches think he's crazy. What's he doing? He's like, get up. He marches everybody outside, and he says, we're going for a run, and he begins to run the whole team through the woods. I don't know how far they go, but they're running. They're running. People are exhausted. They're throwing up. They're like, they're running. They're running. They're running. Like, when are we going to get to the end of this run? They just keep running through the woods until eventually, bam, in the middle of the night, he stops. The rest of the team stops, and they're trying to catch their breath, (gasps) trying to get their breath, and he waits for everybody to get composed. And once everybody is composed, he then begins a speech that's worth the watch of the movie because they find their backs up against a field, and it looks like just any field until he begins to talk to them about the field. And he said, guys, do you understand what this field is? This field is the battleground of Gettysburg. And on this field, in that dirt, is the blood of brothers and sisters, people who gave their life, fighting a fight that for some reason we keep fighting. They already fought the battle, but for some reason we keep fighting it. And he begins to implore them. I want you to remember what happened on this field because when we run away from this field, we can't keep doing it the same. And they leave that moment with with Gettysburg as the backdrop. And it's there and it's then they experience the rest of their camp and all of a sudden you see this unbelievable transformation where they become a team. You're saying, Dan, what's the point? Listen, listen. In the book of Romans, Paul spends the first 11 chapters running us through the theological woods saying, I want you to see what God's done for you. I want you to see how much he loves you. I want you to see what he sacrificed. I want you to see his grace. I want you to see this good news that brings great joy because when you really get it, when you really see it, bam, and you live the rest of your life with that as your backdrop, you will not, cannot live the same because your entire life, your entire life, not just one hour on Sundays, your entire life is lived against the backdrop of the fact that God became a man and took your place so that you could have grace. And you know what that does? That makes your entire life a stage, a stage for which you have the opportunity to respond to God in worship. I love how the message pushes it. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Guys, don't let this be preacher speak. 
Don't do it. Don't let this be church talk. What would happen in your life if your workplace became your worship space? I promise you it would transform your workplace. Moms and dads, can I, can I ask you this? What would happen if your home where you're raising those kids became your worship space? What if those moments with those kids became your opportunity to respond to a God who sacrificed his life in your place? What if your marriage relationship became your worship service and you had the chance to respond to God in your marriage? Students, teenagers, what if your school became your worship space? Teachers, what if your classroom all of a sudden became your worship space? And as you interact with those students, those snotty-nosed students, those ones who cause problems students, those ones who have all kinds of issues going, what if that became your worship space? And what if God on purpose set them in the seat in your class so they could be part of that? See, it transformed and it only transformed when I realized that this good news causes great joy and erupts in worship, not just for one hour on Sunday, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all day, every day. That's what worship is. See, there's one more thing in the Christmas story that I, I want you to to see, and I'm going to invite the band to come out and set up. But that one more thing in the Christmas story reminds me of the gift that I gave Jennifer. The gift that I gave Jennifer, I got on one knee, I asked her to marry me. She said yes. That brought great joy to me. She was overjoyed. I was overjoyed. We were hugging. We were enjoying the moment. <laughs> After that, though, something interesting happened. You see, Jennifer and I got engaged well before Facebook and social media and all that. And she said, come on, let's go in the living room and sit down. All right. What do you want to do? She said, we got to call people, right? You tracking with me? I'm like, well, who? I'm kind of enjoying this. You know what I'm saying? She's like, we got to call like, and she started to list. We called everybody known to man. We spent the entire evening calling people, her mom and dad, my mom and dad, her brother and sister-in-law, my siblings. We called friends. Anybody we ran into the next day, guess what? She's like, ooh, 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 and she had to tell. We had to tell them the story. She's engaged. We're going to get married. She had to tell somebody. Like, like, like this joy, this moment, it's like, wow, we're going to get married. But all of a sudden, she's like, I got to tell everybody. And That's exactly what happened in Luke chapter 2. When you read verses 17 and 18, it says, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And here's what I want you to write now. My joy doesn't just erupt in worship, but it evolves into witness. When truly this good news that brings great joy becomes a part of my life, can I just tell you something? It's like, I can't keep it to myself. Like, y'all would have thought Jennifer was weird if she didn't want anybody to know she's engaged, right? You'd be like, I don't know. I'm going to hide it. I'm not going to tell you. You thought, that's weird. 
Like, I would have thought it was weird. Like, like can I just be honest with you? If, if, if I had asked her to marry me, don't put your stuff away quite yet. Stay with me for a second, would you? If I had asked her to marry me, if I had gotten on one knee, paid with cash for that gift, traveled that far, done what I did, which if I did that and she said yes, and then she said, hey, let's keep it a secret. Let's not tell anybody. I'd have been like, really? <laughs> Why? Can I tell you something? The story of Christmas is about a God who didn't travel two and a half hours in a silver Honda Accord. But he traveled from heaven to earth and did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself a servant, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? Because he wanted to show up when you least expected it. And maybe today's that day. And he wanted to offer you a gift. And what's that gift? That today you could be saved from your sins for a purpose. And the moment you say yes to that gift, this joy erupts into worship and you got to tell somebody. See, if we're honest, if we're honest, <laughs> some of us are sitting here and say, I don't feel really very worshipful and there ain't a whole lot of people in my life that know. This is one preacher that doesn't believe guilt is very effective. So this is not guilt, but I think it is a good time to ask a question. Then maybe I need to ask myself, do I know the story? Is it so familiar? Do I know the story? I know about the shepherds. I know about Mary. I know about Joseph. But is it possible that I've never responded to the story? See, don't miss that in the story. The shepherds listened to the angel and then they went. And their response was because they made personal. They responded to what the good news was about. Maybe this morning you have grown up in church and it is so familiar to you, but you've never made it yours. And so therefore... This good news has never caused mega joy and it doesn't erupt into worship because somehow it's like a story that's disconnected from you. And here's what God wants you to know this morning. He came because of you. He came for you. He came so that you could be saved and free from your sins for a purpose. The moment that connects, the moment that connects, there's response. It's like, you gotta be kidding me. Really? Really? God, you are mindful of me? It's crazy. And the moment that happens, all of a sudden I realize there's a bunch of people around me who don't know. Who don't know what God did for me. Who don't know what God wants to do for them. So God, in this room, I have friends. I love the fact that we get to hang out together. And you might be sitting there this morning and maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. Why not right there in your seat say, yes, Jesus, I want to say yes to your gift. Today's the day I want to say yes. Yes, I want you to be my Savior. Yes, I want you to be my Lord. Yes, I'm, trying to, I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. Yes, today's the day I want to say yes to Jesus. Some of you are sitting there saying, I said yes to Jesus. Can I just ask you just to, to dig into your heart and soul a little bit? What would happen if you saw all of your life as a worship space? And if the people that hung out in that worship space were people that God placed there on purpose so that somehow your life might point them to this good news that might bring great joy to them. Oh God, we are so grateful for your love and for the story of Christmas, for your gift to us. We love you.